Book of Esther, you guys there? Awesome. Here we go. So the last couple of weeks we've been in a series called uh, Almost Famous. And what we've been attempting to do is just look at some people in the Old Testament. Some people that, some people that we really, that I consider that they were almost famous. They, they, they're not really the big heroes of the faith. They're just people that kind of just get mentioned for a little bit and then forgotten. But God used them in his story of what he was doing in the world at that time and really beyond their time. And so we looked at, we looked at Rahab and we looked at Jephthah and we've looked at, uh, and, and tonight we're going to look at a different person. But really, uh, the question that I want to ask tonight is this, is, okay, so why, why does God use those kinds of people? Like, why is it that at some point God chose some really crusty old dude named Abram and told him, and told him like, hey, you're going to have a kid and it's going to be a blessing to the world. And he's like, bro, I'm real old. That's not going to work. He's like, I'm going to take care of you. He's like, and I'm going to use you. He picks this no name dude from nowhere and uses him in a big, big way. And and not even like he's a big deal, right? Because once God starts to use him, he then like sells out his wife, not once, but twice to the other kingdom. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm not with her. Yeah. You can have her not once, but twice. Listen, ladies, if your husband ever sells you out to some other dude twice, you just need to be like, and we're done right now. Like we're just done. Uh, yeah, right? So he just doesn't have it all together. Why is it that God takes this dirty shepherd with a stutter and says, hey, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go? Right? That, that, that's, that's unbelievable. And, and, as, and as, if, as if that's not enough, like when God starts to use him, he murders a dude. So it's like not only does he have a stutter and he's dirty from being like with the sheep, but he's got a real bad anger problem. Yet God uses him anyway. Why is it that God takes this like really shrimpy shepherd kid that's out in the field? And uses him to slay the giant, right? The runt of the litter that everybody's like, yeah, leave him out there. We don't want God to know that he's there because he's real small. Like he can't bench. Like he can't, he doesn't hit the weight room ever, right? So like, I don't, I don't want him to know, but yet God uses him. And even while God is using him, he blows it, right? He sleeps with another man's wife. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to cover this up. So let me go and kill that dude. So he never finds out. Right. But yet God and his grace uses these kinds of people over and over again. And so really, like the question that I ask is, why is it that God uses these these kind of these kind of people, those kinds of people, unlikely people and unlikely places to do unbelievable things? It's because of this, because God gets a ton of glory when that happens. And whether or not you know it or believe it. God's aim with your life and throughout history is his glory. God's after his glory. That doesn't necessarily mean our, our benefit, though, though it is our good. But God is after his glory. And what we've seen over the past couple of weeks and what we'll continue to see is these accounts that we read from the scriptures, they're really less about the people that we're talking about and more about the grace and glory of God behind the people. And that will be no different as we look today. So in the book of Esther, turn to Esther chapter 10, turn to Esther chapter 10, the very end of the book, very end of the book, Esther chapter 10. In fact, we're going to read the last verse of, of Esther, Esther chapter 10, verse three. Here we go. Esther 10, verse three, it says this for Mordecai, the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus. And he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. All right. So here's what's going to happen tonight. We are going to, in the next few minutes, move through the entire book of Esther. If you're thinking, crud, I'm not ready for that. 
I'm really not going to read it, the whole thing. I'm just going to tell you the story. So that'll be great, right? You can track with me on that. Uh, so we're going to talk about this guy named Mordecai. Mordecai is a character in the book of Esther. But here's how, here's how the, let's set up Esther. What's, what's going on? So it's about a hundred years after the people of God, the Israelites, the Jews. That's how they would be referred to in Esther. It's, a, it's about a hundred years after the Jews have been exiled out of their land. What does it mean to be exiled? It means that some other, some other kingdom came in and said, hey, we're stronger than you. Get out. And the Babylonians came in and said, we own this land now, so you're going to have to leave. And so the Jews got exiled out of their land. They got banned out of their own land, the land that God gave them. Why? Because God allowed the Babylonians to take them over because the Jews were rebellious. They were disobedient to God. So the Babylonians came in, Nebuchadnezzar came in, he's like, hey, we're stronger than you, peace out, uh, leave. So it's about a hundred years after the exile happened. And they're in this land of Persia, and they're specifically in this land called Susa, that's the, that's the capital of Persia, that's where they are. And there's this king there, and the king of the land, uh, his name is King Ahasuerus, and here's what's happening. He's the king. This is how far he's the king. He's the king in Persia from India to Ethiopia. So if you can like see a map in your mind from India to Ethiopia, he's the king of all of that. That's a whole lot of earth. I'm just letting you know that's a whole lot of earth. He's the king from India to Ethiopia. So here's what he's doing. He's having a party because he's the king and he can. He's having a real great time drinking with his buddies. Like everybody's here. He's like, you want to keep this party going for days? Okay, we're gonna. So he keeps going like they're just partying and partying and partying. And all of a sudden, he's like drank his full. He's real drunk at this point. And he calls out to his servants. He's like, hey, hey, you. Uh, this is what I imagine drunk king to sound like. Uh, why don't you go get my wife? Right? So he calls the servants. Hey, go get Queen Vashti. That's her name. That's the queen's name. That's his wife. He goes, go get Queen Vashti uh, because I just want to look at her because she's real pretty. I'm not joking. It's in the Bible. He's like, go get her. We want to look at her because she's good looking. So his servants are like, Whatever, dude, have another. And so they go to get her and they're like, hey, uh, your husband wants to see you because he thinks you're like real good looking. And she's like, no, I don't want to go. She doesn't go. So they go back and they're like, okay, we'll tell him. So they go back and they tell King Ahasuerus like, hey, she doesn't want to go because she thinks you're drunk. Right? So she doesn't come. She doesn't come. And he's like, what? This woman better mind, right? She does that kind of thing. And she doesn't show up. And so he gets really upset about it. You know, he gets so upset that he's like, go get, go get the, the paper and the quill or whatever it is that they were writing on at that time. Neither of those things. But nonetheless, go get something for me to write on. <laughs> go get something for me to write on because I'm about to make a decree as the king. That Queen Vashti, she's no longer the queen. She's out. Bye. So he, he sends out a decree. Just letting you know, homegirl's not the queen anymore. I booted her to the curb because she didn't come and let me look at her. And so it happens. And it goes out through the land. It goes out through the land that she's no longer queen. And so this, this, is, what he, this is the next thing he does in his brilliance. Right? He has, he's not even sober yet. Right? He's had way too much wine to drink because they've been drinking for Lord knows how many days at this point. It's like, man, you're a great leader, buddy. So then he gets all of his boys together. He's like, hey, I got a real good idea. I need all you servants to go out into the land of Persia and get every virgin girl that you see. And bring her in here, and I'm going to have Bachelorette Persian edition, and we're going to pick the next queen. You're like, oh, dude, come on. And that's what they do. They go out into the land and gather all of these girls. And they're like, hey, the king wants to see you, and he's going to pick the next queen. They bring them all in, bring them all in, bring them all in. And this is where we're introduced to a guy named Mordecai and a girl named Esther. And the Bible says that Mordecai... That Mordecai is a Jewish man that's been carried into this land 
from, from the exile, right? He's a Jewish man that's now in the land of Persia because of the exile. He wasn't in the promised land anymore, but he's now living in the land of Persia because of the exile. And it also says that he's got this girl with him, and her, her name is Esther. And what you'll find is if you read it, what you'll find is that Esther's actually his cousin. Esther's his cousin, but the Bible says this about how Mordecai treats Esther. It says that he treated Esther as if he, he treated Esther as if she was his own daughter because Esther didn't have a mom, didn't have a dad. What we call that is an orphan. And so Mordecai, being the good cousin that he was, said, you know what? You don't have a mom, you don't have a dad, but you have me and I'm going to take care of you. And the Bible says, I'm going to treat you like you're my own daughter. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you. So right there, we see the first thing. Because we're asking this question, what can we learn from Mordecai? What is it about Mordecai that made him to, able to be used by God? What can we learn from Mordecai? The first thing is this, is that he cares about what God cares about. He cares about what God cares about. You see, Esther is an orphan. Esther is an, is an orphan. And in James chapter 1, verse 27, it says this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. To visit orphans. And maybe some of your Bibles say it like this. To take care of the orphan. So to live as a follower of God is to go and take care of those that don't have a mother or a father. To go and stand in the gap for those kind of people. And you know what Mordecai does as a good Jew, as a good follower of God? He takes care of the orphan because he cares about what God cares about. He cares about what God cares about. And so maybe the question to us is this. In what ways do you need to align your life with God's heart? In what ways do you need to align your life with God's heart? Maybe it's an even better question to ask. Do you even ask the question, what does God want to do with my life? Do you even ask the question? Do you even consider, what does God want with this scenario? What does God want me to do with this decision? What does God want me to do in my school? What does God want me to do on my football team? What does God want me to do in this club that I'm in? What does God want me to do in my neighborhood? Do you even ask the question or do you just think, I think I'll just control it. I've got it managed. Or maybe we should be the kind of people that care about what God cares about. And ask the question, what does God want? What does God desire for these people? Because there's some really clear things that God says. God says to care for the orphans. So God's people care for those. God's people care for the orphan. That's what, that's what we do. So it's a fair question to ask. Do we need to align our heart? Are there are ways that we need to align our heart with God's heart. But what we also find in this, in this same exact scene... Because not only does Mordecai care about what God cares about, but we also find that he's not perfect, right? So Mordecai and Esther were introduced to them. And what they do is they're like, hey, let's, uh, let's hide your Jewishness and you go and try out for the Bachelorette Persian edition, right? Just go in there. You're real pretty. Maybe this will work out. Who had to send her? Who was the one that was taking care of Esther as his own daughter? It had to be Mordecai. Mordecai's the one that was like, go for it, girl. He had to know in his head, this probably isn't going to be real awesome in there. Like it's not going to be real godly in there. But he sends her anyway. He sends her off, a Jew into a foreign kingdom. 
to intermix with a people that are not God's people. God told them way long ago, don't intermarry. That's not because we don't like them. It's because they worship other gods and you worship the one true God. And yet Mordecai sins her anyway. So what else do we find out about Mordecai? What else do we learn from Mordecai? It's that he's not perfect. In fact, you'll see over and over again in this, in this story through Esther, Mordecai's not perfect. In fact, none of the heroes that you read about in the Bible are perfect. They blow it. They have anger problems. They have some kind of lust issue. Whatever it is. They sell their wife out. They sell the, their cousin out like, go for it, homegirl. Hope it goes well. Right? He's not perfect. And yet God uses him anyway. He chooses to, Mordecai chooses to obey the king and not obey God. So he's not perfect. So maybe, maybe the question to you concerning being used by God is what mistakes do you have? What mistakes have you made that have you thinking God can't or God won't use me? What mistakes have you made or what issues are you facing right now that you're thinking in your head because of this or because of that, God cannot or God will not use me. He won't. I'm just too broken. I've blown it too many times. I've gone back to that sin too many times. What is it? Have you missed opportunities? Have you missed opportunities provided by God because of fear? Have you missed opportunities to share the gospel? Have you missed opportunity to be Jesus, his hands and feet, because you were scared? And so now you feel guilty, and so you feel like, okay, God will never use me now because I've just missed opportunity after opportunity. The Holy Spirit won't even speak to me anymore. So you just guilt yourself. Maybe, maybe, Maybe you made mistakes by just allowing images on a screen to just wash over you over and over again. You just looked at image after image. Treating as something that benefited you, but all the while you're getting addicted and it's destroying you. And now on the backside, you feel super guilty about it. You feel enslaved to it like you can't get away from it. And you think in these moments, God will never use me. God will never use me because I'm too messed up. I've made too many mistakes. Even if, I, even if I tried to get it together, God would just be so over it. Maybe, maybe you've made some mistakes in some relationships. You've pushed the boundary. You've crossed the line with him or her. Or you, you really blew up a friendship. I, I don't know. And now, now, every time you think about God using you, you think, it would be really nice if God used me, but I'm not the kind of, I'm not the kind of people God uses. I'm pretty messed up. So I don't know that God, I don't know that God is, is going to use me because of all the baggage that I'm carrying. Listen. If you're messed up and you've got baggage and you've blown it, you're just the kind of person God uses. You're the exact kind of person that God uses. Now, am I saying that we should just go mess up all the time? No. But if you're thinking in your head that God is waiting for you to clean yourself up so that God will use you, you're sadly mistaken about who God is. Because for millennia, God has been choosing messed up people to do unbelievable things. The guy, the guy that the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, David, right? That guy. The one that we celebrate like, man, Jesus comes from David's line. He just saw a girl bathing on the roof and he's like, hey, go get her. I want her. Slept with another dude's wife and then went and killed her husband. 
Now, am I saying, well, then we should do that also? No. But I'm saying, if God can redeem that, why can't he redeem what you've done? Why not? So he's not perfect either. So the story goes on, right? So they, they send her off. Mordecai tells her, hey, hide your Jewishness. Go in there. Try out for this thing. It'll go, it'll, hopefully it'll go great. So day after day, Mordecai comes to the king's gate and he checks in with Esther. He's like, hey, how's it going? Does he think you're pretty? Are you in yet? I don't know. So they're just talking and kind of figuring this out. Well, and then it gets to Esther's turn to go in, right? The king's waiting in this room. The girl comes in one by one, does her little tryout thing, and then they leave, whatever. Now, it's Esther's turn. She comes in. She walks in, and it's like bells are ringing, the heavens are singing, holy moly, that girl is real fine kind of deal. And the king is like, boom, you're my queen. And he immediately, immediately is like, yep, we're done. All the other scrubs, we'll be seeing you. You're the queen. And he immediately makes her queen. He immediately makes her queen. And so Mordecai and Esther are like, we're in, fist bump, way to go, we got this thing. And so they're, they're like, okay, I don't know how this is going to work, just hide your Jewishness for a little while. So she's in, she's queen, it's all good. Then we're introduced to this character, his name is Haman. And Haman ends up becoming the second in command in the kingdom. King Ahasuerus is like, hey, my boy Haman, you're my right hand man, so I want you to be next to me, that whole deal. So Haman, he gets pretty proud of it, he's like, yo, I'm number two, that's a big deal. So he goes out, he goes out in the community. He's like, hey, all, all, all you people, why don't you just bow down to me right quick? Because I'm the number two. And so they're like, okay, man. And they bow down to him. But you know what? Mordecai's like, uh-uh, who are you? I'm not bowing down to you. You know what Haman does? Gets real upset about it. He's like, bro, I'm the number two. And Mordecai's like, bro, I don't care. And he doesn't bow down. And you know what Haman does? He gets real upset and he finds out who is that guy? Oh, that's Mordecai. Oh, that's a, he's, a, he's a Jewish guy. So what Haman does is he goes, he goes back. He goes back to his people and he's like, you know what I want to do? I want to kill every Jew that's in our land. Because if that guy's not going to bow, he's going to represent every Jew that's in our land. Let's just wipe them all out. You're like, bro, that's an overreaction, my friend. So he starts to build up this plot. All the while, Mordecai's coming back and forth to the gate to interact with Esther, to check in on her, to see how things are going because he cares for her. He has treated her as if she is his own daughter. She comes back and forth to the gate. One day he's at the gate, Esther's not there, and he hears some people talking. And they're like, hey, um, you want to kill the king? And like Mordecai plays it real cool. Like he's not the one being asked. He's just overhearing this. You know this, you know this kind of deal. You've been in this scenario before. Like you're in a really public place and you hear somebody say, having a conversation. You're like, oh my Lord, did they just say that? You don't stop listening because you really are like inappropriately interested. But you're just like, I shouldn't be listening. But man, this is good. So, just... <laughs> so it's one of those deals. And two guys are talking and Mordecai is hearing them plot to kill the king. And so you know what Mordecai does? He doesn't say, yeah, bro, let's kill him. Then maybe one of you fools can be the king. No, that's not what he does. He hears that and finally gets a meeting with Esther. He says, hey, I just wanted you to know. There's a couple of people that are trying to make a rally to kill the king. You might want to let him know. And so she goes back, tells the king, and they stop him from being assassinated. What does that tell us about Mordecai? It tells us that he's not self-seeking. It tells us that he's not self-seeking. And two, uh, chapter 2, verse 19 uh, I'm sorry, verse 23, it said, when the affair was investigated and found to be so, 
the men who were both hanged in the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So Queen, Queen Esther goes back to the king. It's like, hey, my boy Mordecai, he told me that people were going to try to kill you. They stopped the people from trying to kill him. And so they write it down in the king's chronicles. It's like the records of everything that's happening. They wrote down in the king's chronicles, Mordecai saved your life, bro. That's not what they wrote. But it was like that. Mordecai saved your life. What does that tell us about Mordecai? He is not a self-seeking dude. He's not after himself. He's not after his own benefit. He's really humble. As far as he knew, that king was a moron. But he didn't care. He didn't say, yeah, kill him. Then maybe I can get mine. He says, no, he's the king. Leave him alone. He's not self-seeking. So maybe the question to you is this. When you operate with other people, when you interact with other people, do you work for their benefit or your own? Do you seek to make yourself great or serve those people? Because Mordecai wasn't self-seeking and God used him. God used him. Well, the story, the story keeps going. Haman's the number two guy. He gets real mad. Mordecai, they, they, keep, they keep going, they keep going. The story progresses on. And so they want to have a, a feast together. They call a feast and they're like, hey, we want to kill all of the Jews. We want to hang Mordecai. And like when, I, when the Bible says like they want to hang him, don't think a rope. Think they push him off of a really tall thing onto a sharp wooden stake and it goes through their body. That's what's happening. Like it's not good. Just like, like it's that kind of deal. So that's what they want to do. That's what they want to do to Mordecai. So Mordecai finds out Haman's plan to destroy the Jews. He finds out Haman's plan to destroy the Jews. And so what does he do? The same thing he always does. He goes back to the gate and waits for Esther. He's like, hey, homegirl, I need to talk to you because there's some real bad stuff happening to our people right now. And so this is seen in chapter four. He goes back to the gate and he's like, Esther, I, I don't know if you know, but Haman is trying to kill not just me, but all of us. That's not good. Like, right, you know, that's not good. Okay, that's not good. He's trying to kill all of us. Can you do something about it? And you know what Esther says? She doesn't say, okay, yeah, no, no worries. I'll, I'll take care of it. No, no, no. She goes, I can't talk to the king. What do you want me to do about it? He's like, you're the queen. Well, I don't know. Who else am I going to talk to? She's like, if I go in front of the king, he might kill me. Oh, well. This is what, this is what, this is what uh, Mordecai says. Chapter 4, verse 12. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. This is what he replies back to her like, hey, I'm not going. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will will rise for the Jews from another place. You know what he says to her? Whether you help me or not, God is going to take care of the Jews. Because we are God's chosen people. Relief will come from somewhere if it doesn't come from you. But that's not where he leaves it. Let's keep going in verse 14. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you, from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows, check this out, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He asks Esther the question. Hey, what, what, if, what if God's actually put you here for just this time to rescue his people 
right now? What if that's why you're here? He appeals to God's providence. What if God's actually, he just looks at Esther and he's like, what if God is actually controlling this? And you're here for a reason. So what does that tell us about, what does that tell us about Mordecai? Here's, here's what it tells us. That he has faith that God will keep his promises. That he is the kind of person that has faith that God will keep his promises. Well, what's his promise, what's his promise to the Jews? Genesis Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says this. This is to Abraham or Abram about the Jewish people. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He says to Abraham, you, you, you're going to be a great nation and out of Abraham comes the Jewish people. Those are God's people who God chose and God calls to himself. And Mordecai knew that. And he says, God's going to take care of his people. God will keep his promises. Whether you rise up, Esther, or not, he's going to keep his promises. And who knows, maybe you're here for just this time, for right now, for you to be the instrument that God uses to save his people. So the question to us is this. What areas of your life are you not trusting God to keep his promise to you? What areas of your life are you not trusting God to keep his promise to you? We are the kind of people, I, I am, I am this kind of person. That we read the scriptures and the promises of God from the scriptures. And we say, that's real nice. But God doesn't keep that promise to me. We may say quickly, God keeps his promise to everybody else, but God doesn't keep his promise to me. We find every reason why God's going to break his promise. But listen, that tells you more about God than it does about you. And over and over in the scriptures, God is seen as faithful and good and promise keeping. He's never failed. We said this a couple of weeks ago. What makes you think that God's going to start failing with you? What makes you think God's going to be like, hey, I've never failed before, but you like, man, like your life's kind of a wreck. So I'm just going to have to start messing this thing up. God isn't going to do that. God has never failed. Every promise that God has made, he'll keep. He'll keep. And so we should trust that God will keep his promises. So Esther actually gets favor with the king. And the story goes on. She calls a feast with the king and Haman. All the while, Haman's trying to get everything together to hang Mordecai. They finally have the feast, Esther, the king, and Haman. And... Esther's like, hey, I need to make a request of you, king. And he's like, hey, whatever you want. Up to half my kingdom, you can do whatever you want. And she says this. Haman's trying to kill all my people. I'm Jewish. And he's like, for real? And so, so she says, he's trying to kill all my people. So are you going to deal with this? And you know what the king does? Because Esther has favor in his eyes. The king gets furious with Haman. And he says... Go and kill Haman on the very pole that he was going to shove Mordecai on. And dude gets shoved off and dies. In the very same place, in the very same place that he had planned for Mordecai to die, Haman dies. Why? Because God's taking care of his people. God's taking care of his people. And not only that, then the story just turns big time. So now, the house of Haman, everything that Haman was in charge of, it's handed over to Esther. He's like, hey, you're in charge of this now, girl. And he brings, he brings, 
he brings Mordecai in. He's like, hey, you get this ring and, and, and write, a, write a letter to all the Jews in the area, letting them know they can defend themselves in the battle that's going to come. They can protect themselves. And then he makes, he makes Mordecai the number two. The guy that was the scrub sitting outside the gate takes Haman's place and becomes the king's right hand. And he gets to write a letter, a decree to all of the Jewish people. Stand and fight. Stand and fight the opposition that's going to come against you. And watch God prevail. And so he does. He does. And this is what happens. This is what we learn from it. That, that Mordecai uses his position for the purposes of God. Mordecai uses his position for the purpose of God. He doesn't get, he doesn't get into royalty. He doesn't come up into the king's right hand. He's like, I have made it. All you Jewish people, all you can die because it doesn't matter because I'm in the castle. What, what? Like, that's not how it happens. He gets there and he uses his position for the purposes of God. And he and Esther get together and they write, they write a decree for all the Jewish people to, to go and stand and fight. You know what happens? They win. And God saves his people. God rescues his people. He preserves his people just like he said he would. And so my question to you is, are you using your position? You're like, well, I'm not a leader. That's not what I'm talking about. Are you using your position in the club that you're in, on the team that you're on, in the neighborhood that you live in, in the group that you are around, in the, in the small group that you sit in here? Are you using your position there for the purposes of God or for the purposes of you? Are you more concerned with how funny people think you are? Are you more concerned with how popular people think you are? Are you more concerned with how pretty people think you look? Are you more concerned with what are the purposes of God and how can I be the person that is the instrument through which God uses? Because Mordecai used his position for the purposes of God. Why not us? And so so the question that we're left with is this. If God used Mordecai, why can't God use you?